Today is March 13th, 2022. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Megoche, Chistapomaki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nisitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed US Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Pinchotine Indehe in Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the as a guest or in our case, uh, invader, um, but acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. And that's what I try to do. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elder and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down the red road. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support if you value listening or watching and can afford to give thank you to those who cannot afford to give i'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com and a lot of you have always asked if you can send an e-transfer that would be where you could but i'd love to hear from you with your comments or questions also giving a review helps from whatever medium you're listening and i have a youtube channel that you can go and subscribe go to native calgary to go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So I uh, wanted to start today because um, this just popped up on my Instagram feed. Um, it's something we've been doing kind of behind the scenes with um, the Reconciliation Action Group is working with some different folks, uh, specifically Migrant Alberta, um, WEPT, and they're a group that wants to eliminate poverty, um, Reconciliation Action Group, the Assembly, Alberta Assembly of Social Workers, Action Dignity, Justice for Palestine, uh, Mexican Hungarian Group, and one more that I don't quite know yet, but I'll try to get there. Anyway, I just shared it under Reconciliation Action Group called Unite Against Racism. It'll be Sunday, March 20th at 2 p.m. at the Peace Bridge. So um, please come if you can, that would be absolutely lovely and very relevant considering um, what's just happened in the last 24 hours. So uh, as many of you have been listening to previous podcasts, we've been absolutely dragging the yellow vesters that turned into the trucker convoy 
Um, and now that that's all done nationally, of course, nationally, they don't recognize we've been dealing with this for years here. So um, there's been a few groups that were trying to challenge the, the um, a new kid on the block, trying to challenge this whole convoy on 17th Avenue, otherwise known as the Red Mile for folks who are into hockey. Um, this has been happening on the Red Mile and literally people just have beer and watch Nazis um, try to go after a small group of people trying to stop their protest. And ironically, the police are absolutely aiding and abetting the Nazis. And interestingly enough, we've been saying this consistently for years, and um, yet going in one ear and out the other of so many people, and yet today, out of all days, um, I stumbled upon this on my Twitter feed. Uh, on my Twitter feed, there is um, a, a new Nazi group, and this new Nazi group is um, White, White Lives Matter Alberta, and this was their statement that they made at 151. Uh, self, while self-proclaimed community groups are using their platform to spread dangerous and divisive rhetoric online, we want to take this time to applaud the Calgary Police for their integral work yesterday with maintaining the peace, which did not happen. Anybody who has seen any of the videos know it was the exact opposite. So it turns out the Calgary Alliance for the Common Good, which is supposed to be a group of uh, Christians <laughs> working on reconciliation, not only followed them, um, but yeah, that's one of the three followers. Uh, I swear to God, you try to work so hard with these groups and they just do everything they can to possibly hurt themselves while shooting themselves in their own feet on a regular basis. It's just so wild to me because, you know, it's just one hand not knowing what the other hand is doing. Um, you know, I'm a part of the Indigenous Advisory Boards. You've heard me a couple of episodes ago basically say that, um, you know, you can't use these advisory groups, these committees. Um, us as members on these boards are trying to help the Calgary Police. And yet we get tokenized in a lot of these uh, um, releases these media releases and uh, we don't don't support your um, violence against people trying to stop these convoy um, folks I mean there is literally no regulations now we're actually all getting sick um, you know the upswing is happening in Europe because we've released all these stupid mandates because you uh, basically allowed all these bullies to win and that's where we're at now as a society. And um, on Twitter, a lot of, for people who care about science, if you follow a lot of the uh, nurses, doctors, health professionals, they're saying 25% uh, of uh, kids who get COVID end up with long COVID. That's a pretty fucking scary stat, in my opinion, especially if you so supposedly care about uh, children, which a lot of these pro-lifers always claim to be. Um, so that was really disappointing to read that, seeing the upswing in COVID cases. Now we have a new variant, like a BA2, that we're all dealing with. And the bullies won. And the police get to protect them. And there's video of it all over. And now you have white supremacist groups applauding the police and Christians happily following. 
shocking. I'm not shocked. Uh, any of you that are shocked just shows don't listen to my podcast, um, but you certainly don't listen to uh, QT BIPOC voices in general. Um, so another thing that we should probably talk about is uh, the fact that the violence on, on Twitter, they outright said one of our local activists, Adora uh, Nofor, she was um, right in the middle, starting to dance. And that was when the police came in and got really violent with their bites against the public. And, um, you know, it's the end of the day, it just amplifies the racism It amplifies how it's a white supremacist movement and how the police are part of the white supremacist movement by constantly protecting them. We've seen this long ago when Joey DeLuca and his crew were, you know, um, screaming against our LGBTQ2 plus community here in Calgary. Guess who was there, you know, and uh, police were protecting them. Um, and I'll give them props, at least they did it at City Hall instead of in the middle of the public where everybody is, you know, being dramatically affected by this. Um, but it's interesting watching the Beltline uh, folks trying to deal with this and I don't know what to say. I guess that's really up to them. Um, I live in Abigail where Colton Crochu was murdered and the police didn't give a crap enough to investigate for three weeks. So, you know, that's the problem for me. Um, lots of other things to discuss. One of the things I was lucky enough to talk about uh, was um, the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People with the Liberal Party. Um, I was actually invited to um, an event to talk with an MP who had to withdraw because they had used her parliamentary uh, position so that we actually ended up with uh, two other folks that came in. Um, we also had uh, a few MPs um, pop in as well and speak so it ended up being quite um, quite an interesting conversation to be a part of but I was a guest speaker to talk about um, you know why I'm involved in such so uh, you know just real quickly um, they asked me the circumstances of why I got involved politically and with the Liberal Party of Canada and I said that Indigenous in Canada are political by default at the time of the birth of my daughter, I experienced systemic racism in the healthcare system, which was directly linked to my Indian Act uh, being federal jurisdiction in a provincial healthcare setting. I had to heal, I went to counseling, tried to raise a baby, and attempted to reach out to my local conservative MP and EDA, but to nobody's surprise, was ignored. Um, in 2011, we had this dynamic PhD female candidate in our area that started a book club with guests like Tom Flanagan, Hugh Dempsey, uh, Chris Turner, and she was so great at meeting folks where they were at. I wasn't sure about Michael Ignatieff, um, but I, and by then I had um, unpacked a lot of my accumulated anti-liberal bias being born and raised in Alberta, and I really trusted her. This was a time that I was witnessing Stephen Harper's oppressive and racist approach to Indigenous peoples as the international vote against the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Um, equally, a former co-chair actually was really welcoming to me on the Indigenous Peoples Commission. That time it would have been the Aboriginal Peoples Commission. So uh, they asked me who my inspiration and mentors are. And I said, my granny who survived 16 years at Sacred Heart Indian Residential Prison. My mom who survived domestic violence losing her children unfairly and forgiving the institutions and people that created the colonial violence against her. 
uh, Ruth Skelbach, a local elder that founded Awutan Healing Lodge and spoke for decades on the issue of violence against Indigenous people at all orders of government. Josie Nipnak, the current executive director of Awutan Healing Lodge for her work locally, provincially and nationally on these issues of violence against Indigenous and Kanagis Manuel and um, Ellen Gabriel for their leadership of their inherent rights as land defenders. And of course, my daughter for the next generations because this work is supposed to be to improve their, their life and the ne next ones coming up. Um, and then they asked me how um, the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People has impacted Canada's relationship with Indigenous peoples. And uh, I said, Indigenous are known for their humor as a coping mechanism to intergenerational violence. And um, the short answer is, unfortunately, there hasn't been change between Canada and the Indigenous peoples and the so-called boundaries of Canada. And I wanted to encourage them to unpack why, you know, that this is much bigger than just Justin Trudeau. Our um, audience needs to understand that we have 500 years of oppression and genocide. Um, 500 years of being governed through patriarchy and Canada trying to establish itself at the expense of Indigenous people with many Indigenous um, uh, uh, matriarchal governance. That's a lot of work to undo. So the corporate sector must not just recognize the purposeful exclusion of Indigenous people. They all see themselves as equal uh, partners with Indigenous peoples and inclusion in business. It's a huge block because inherently Indigenous peoples believe in sharing wealth as, to opposed, to, as opposed to Canada's profit hoarding system. You know, we have completely different worldviews on economy, let alone things like land allocation and regulations of the land. You know, Canada has a real opportunity to adapt its institutions of health, education, justice, and governance. And yet we have yet to see that work be done. And in some cases, not even started. You know, aside from Vancouver, municipalities have yet to take meaningful act action on UNDRIP, which is what we, that's the, the acronym for the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. Uh, Conservative-led provinces have outright contempt for UNDRIP. Um, the, just the other day, the UFC's public policy school used the term Aboriginal problem. So you can see as in the truck convoy, the different orders of government weren't necessarily on board for cooperation for three weeks, let alone after to work together on that issue of the truck convoy. Now imagine changing that to the three orders of, of government to equal Indigenous voices at the table. You know, we need a fundamental shift in our society in regards to the approach of governance, economy, and social agency. In 2015, uh, we campaigned on changing the first past the post system and couldn't agree about how to change it. Um, I really recommend the book. Um, it's a, a 2014 book called Tragedy in the Commons. Former MPs speak out about Canada's failing democracy, and it's uh, written by Alison Lote and Michael McMillan. So until we see all orders of government on board with the uh, 46 articles for Indigenous peoples within the boundaries of Canada, would we ever see any change other than the status quo? Uh, so that would be the real start of the weaknesses on Canada's part of the declaration. Another weakness is the real lack of Canadian law and legislation and watered down through 
within legislation that does exist in jurisdictions like DC, where the provincial law recognizing UNDRIP, but yet the RCMP can still violently attack the Wet'suwet'en with no consequences. Having all orders of government pointing the finger at each other and the justice system. And ironically, they even have a 1997 Supreme Court case of Delegate on the side of the Wet'suwet'en. So, you know, we, we have yet to see meaningful implementation of UNDRIP. Um, but to build on that, you know, the strengths of UNDRIP is that it is, it is Indigenous led and that all the solutions given are not just to Canada, but globally. Natural law and Indigenous inherent rights are kind of the base of it and real meaningful implementation could literally solve issues on food security, climate change, economic challenges we are facing, and more instead of the non-Indigenous-led sustainable development goals, UNDRIP would fix the inequality between Indigenous and non and honor the uh, goal of, of the treaties. Another question I was asked was, what opportunities do you see in UNDRIP improving Canada's relationships with Indigenous people? And can you suggest anything to improve um, relations between the two? And I said that uh, non-Indigenous people need a, a radical education. You know, for years I've pushed book clubs to help baby step folks into this new era of truth and reconciliation. When Canadians understand the treaties have not been upheld, the land has been exploited since French, um, British, and now Canadian interference, and recognize that the genocide is not just of Indigenous peoples, but also of the land and the animals, the environment, the ecosystem, then we can see how UNDRIP brings the solutions to actually share as the treaties intended while honoring human rights. Um, the liberals, you know, I want them to imagine something beyond the next election under the Westminster system. You know, I want them to be thinking of a newer democracy, a whole new way of doing elections because, you know, we've passed substantial uh, legislation to allow for indigenous self-determination and cooperation. So imagine the next generation of all our kids knowing Indigenous languages and ways of knowing. Imagine your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids living in a better relationship with the land as we tackle things like climate change with Indigenous solutions really on the front. So uh, those were things that I really wanted to stress and amplify. So if you haven't read the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, um, really that's the foundation of both the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, as well as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of um, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, report as well. So, you know, the solutions are there. That's, that's not a question, um, you know, and of course we haven't seen municipally that be done, the justice system implemented to any sort of meaningful change. Um, so we're just seeing the repeats of all of this again. And I'm so grateful that Adora, um, you know, was, I can't even say that, safe, that's not true. I'm glad that her activism was recognized in that moment, but I know how traumatic it is being, um, you know, having police, I'm two rows of police when we did the Wet'suwet'en uh, solidarity rally in front of, uh, TC Energy, 
and um, and having screaming protesters on the other side. Um, I remember when I went to Smudge, they accused me of drugs. Um, I remember them just screaming at me in general and us who were um, in in support. And it's it's hard. It's not easy. So if you have a chance, like the activists that were there, absolutely support them. Um, unfortunately, lots of them live right there. So how else? Like, what else are they supposed to do? Um, and as opposed to these uh, trucker convoys that come from all over, as you know, they don't necessarily live in the area even. So it's just gross. And um, tomorrow we have our our book club on the Inuit experience. And jeez, uh, I just feel like I have so many things to tell you. Um, I did witness. I did witness something positive from the police. And again, this is like an example of the left hand not knowing what the right hand does. Uh, so you have like these riot police in city center district one, and they are violent towards, you know, folks that believe in science and LGBTQ plus rights. And, you know, they claim to be anti-racism for the most part, but some struggle with it um anyway you know violence against these people was totally okay and it just shows the allyship that the police have had with white supremacists and it continues uh, obviously in that district one district four that's where they kill you know my relations black folks on a regular basis and then up at headquarters you know we had an elder uh, from Bagani give an eagle feather so that the actual out Indigenous officers, and it's not a safe place, so not all of them are out as Indigenous people, the ones that chose to swear on an eagle feather were invited to, and that prior to that, uh, the Bagani elder, he actually gifted Chief Mark Newfelt a name, and um, it was it was unexpected and I know um, it wasn't a part of the agenda, but um, it ended up being quite um, important to say. And I think what people who might be listening is wondering why I would tell you this. And the reason why I have to tell you this is because um, my role when you witness ceremony is to tell others. And ironically, I haven't seen um the Calgary police put out a statement about it or anything like that so um basically there was the the elder he was former chief of Bagani for 20 years uh Leonard he he was in Bagani he drove over to this hill he was in Porcupine Hills he said and there was a huge flock of eagles a huge flock so he said that they all landed in the field and he pulled over and he was with some friends and they all witnessed this and the eagles were in a circle and in the middle was one and when the one took off uh, all the other eagles followed so that was the the basis of his name and, and his name is high flying eagle so uh chief newfeld his name as of march 2nd his blackfoot name is um high flying eagle and as a member of the Indigenous um, Advisory Board, it's, it is my, my role as a witness to tell 
And ironically, we had all of these, you know, allies in their ribbon skirts or, you know, moccasins pretending to be allies. And um, yeah, I don't know if they really understand their role when they witness these, these moments. Um, ultimately, it was ceremony that um, is meant to be told, just as Nenshi, when he got his name, um, one who moves camp and others follow. I thought that was such a great name. Um, Sutina had given Justin Trudeau a name and uh, uh, one who keeps trying. So I thought that was fitting. And I can't quite remember some of the other politicians and their names that they've been given, but I know Nenshi was given a second name and I can't remember it offhand. Um, I'll have to look that up. These are our, in, in our tradition, we have to tell stories of what we witnessed uh, so other people know that this is what has been happening. So um, I thought it was important for me to tell that story and uh, go from there. You know, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and cultural safety, uh, cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to talk about creating safer spaces for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 to speak. Uh, if you were to go to heretohelp.bc.ca, uh, what is Indigenous cultural safety and why you should care about it, you would find an article by Cheryl Ward, uh, a Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin. Ironically, there are so many um, articles out there, uh, but their work and those cultural act action tools I've said over 100 times in this podcast. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Oh, internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized uh, people experience by the structure of racism. Um, I think I'm going to expand a little bit on that. I recommend uh, Donna Bevan's work, What is Internalized Racism? But I also recommend that people look into what is called trauma bonding and, um, and understand that right now at this exact moment in time, we have a threat of nuclear war. Ukraine is being invaded by um, Russia. We have the global pandemic with politicians catering to white supremacists. We have, um, you know, an economic collapse in so many ways because of the pandemic. So many of us who are already struggling are struggling beyond measure um, financially. So with that, I will say, I have been sharing um, a GoFundMe for a friend, Shiloh Clark, and uh, another friend, Evan's Yellow Old Woman. I've been sharing those. I hope if you have some, um, and an opportunity to donate to them. That would be much appreciated at the very minimum. Please share that uh, GoFundMe. We've been really affected by so many things. Um, you know, the it's hard to listen to like the CBC radio because on there they're talking about, you know, the economy coming back and oil prices are high and jobs are good. And that's not what marginalized people are seeing and um, I'm not seeing that at all in fact I'm seeing the entire population not just marginalized people taking huge weight wage rollbacks and um, and then just recently the UCP came out with uh, more wage rollbacks that they want of the public servants who are just helping us out of this health crisis so it, it's just so demoralizing 
because they all get away with it. They can get away with it. The oil companies are making hand over fist in, and the jobs aren't there. And they're certainly not paying what they used to in any capacity, despite the fact it's ridiculous, the prices right now. Um, so, you know, it, it's just really hard. So to get back to what, you know, lateral violence is and internalized racism, we're already way beyond with our trauma being out there and exposed. And it doesn't take much because we already don't trust anybody for us to really start attacking each other. So for folks who see that, um, you know, when we have internal conflicts, for you to amplify any of that in a negative way, it's just so heartbreaking. And we watched on TikTok, um, the concept of lateral violence, I don't think white people understand because here we had this white woman go after a native man and a whole huge white following of white feminists being like, oh, he's such a dirty, dirty guy and no concept of the oppression dynamics and their privilege that they've benefited from by the genocide of indigenous people. Now, the indigenous people have called in him. We will take care of him. But for white people to do it is actually a huge form of racism and violence. And ironically, they don't see that, ironically. So that has been really eye-opening. You know, you have somebody like this Chelsea, who's supposed to be, you know, educating white people on how to be anti-racist, but not only not doing it herself, but clearly failing her, her so-called demographic. So she's a shitty ally. Uh, we had another so-called ally happen up in Edmonton and I had learned a few awful lessons and the consequence of losing a good friend as a result. Um, and, um, you know, I put out a public apology uh, that was, it was vague because I obviously don't want to um, hurt and name that person that I've already hurt. And then secondly, they, my community will call me in to, to deal with that. So that will be dealt with my, you know, mistake that I made that hurt this person so, so deeply. Um, but that said, non-Indigenous, um, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to make the situation worse. Um, you know, racialized, non-racialized, if you're non-racialized, you don't get an opinion on this. And in fact, um, as a result of what happened, I had blocked two other problematic white activists who had, you know, constantly hurting and hurting and hurting me and others in the community. But this is, this is my biggest lear learning experience was if people feel safe to badmouth someone to me, then I'm problematic. So I blocked two white activists that we should be aligned in, but we're not because they have outright, you know, said negative things about people that I love and care about. And I've tried to babysit them to see that the dynamic, the, the power struggle, and they, they're committed to not seeing it. And uh, one even tried to say that he was suicidal. 
which he may very well have been, but of course he ended up being just fine. So, you know, it, it's back to that trauma being exposed. So, you know, I, I've shared articles in the past that obviously he didn't see or others didn't see that talk about if you're white and you have unresolved trauma, don't bring that into activism because you're hurting yourself, you're hurting us. And that's exactly what has happened at a huge scale of TikTok with the Chelsea Lance drama, but then at a smaller scale, it, it's happening locally and provincially. So, you know, I, I absolutely encourage people when you, like I'm probably one of the lower points in my life, but that never gives me an excuse to hurt others. So I encourage anyone listening, if you take responsibility for the hurt that you are projecting, that you do of other people. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make amends the best I can. I've never claimed to be perfect, um, but I have, I'll never allow that to be a reason to hurt other people and, um, you know, and, and not take responsibility for that. Ironically, I wish other folks in our community would take responsibility for hurting others too. Um, and one last thing I'll say about that entire situation is that, um, you know, one of my poor um, moments of judgment was thinking that I could somehow, you know, bring in um, an Indigenous man trying to reconnect, but that wasn't my place because, because of my friendship with um, the ex. And and that if he is meant to reclaim who he is, he has community, he has aunties, he has uncles, but I was supposed to be a friend to his ex first. And I say that because, you know, the bottom of every list is racialized women. And me not showing 100% solidarity, even, even when we're, we, you know, it, 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 it's just, it's never, our, our LGBTQ2+, our women, there's always gender violence, always, always, always. And when you, and as somebody who's supposed to be a spokesperson for, um, you know, women facing violence, for me to have not seen that to begin with was one of the worst errors of judgment on my part. And I am so sorry to my friend, well, from my former friend, that I was lucky enough to call a friend. Um, I really encourage folks to take responsibility in the best way they can. And of course, the consequence of my um, error will always be losing that friend. But here's the thing, regardless, it was still my fault. I hurt someone, I hurt them deeply. And not just that I hurt them. It's that you claim and I claim to care about violence against women, violence against Indigenous women, violence against QT, but BIPOC. And I made this mistake. So I bring all of this up because, you know, my trauma has been out there. Everybody's trauma is out there. We all have very little patience with all the incredible um, things that we're under, but never, never, never let that be a reason to hurt others. Um, 
So to to the indigenous community, to the black community, to the activist community, to the community of you know violence against women, all of these different gender violence, all of these different um, groups. Like I'm sorry I let you down too, and um, I hope that I can make amends. You know we don't really have that restorative justice set up the way I wish we did, but I know in time. I will, I will take my lickings, not just from my, my colleagues, my friends, but my aunties, my, my community, They'll, they will take care of that too. And I will have to work at making those amends, which is part of the reason why I thought it was important for me to talk about the positive things that I had witnessed um, from one of the Begunny elders. And again, that's my role as a treaty partner as well. You know, I'm uh, here on, on stolen lands and I witness Indigenous ceremony, it is important for me to explain what I see. So with that, um, I'm also enrolled in Carrie Moore's Next Brain Trauma workshop, and I'll be trying to, you know, do that personal reflection. Like we talk about healing journeys ongoing, and this is a part of it. And um, anyway, I hope that concept of, you know, internalized racism, lateral violence, and uh, the structure of racism on top of you know trauma and the incredible situation we're under all of that makes sense as to why it is racialequitytools.org um, those resource files the ongoing healing that we all have to do as community members why all of this is relevant and goes together so thank you donald evans for that um, resource and hopefully others will find healing in that as well Oh, also uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention for American Friends Service Committee. Boy, I should look into that deeper and see if it has a, a whole new special wound lance section about how to um, not be a really shitty ally. <laughs> anyway, Indigenous have been talking about our issues, traumas in our reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms if they don't recognize marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus if they're cutting uh, violence prevention programs and services indigenous education uterus health choices gay straight alliances lack of human rights for migrants immigrants folks with disabilities know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people demand that they implement the truth and reconciliation commission calls to action the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention programs, the 231 calls to justice of the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit, and of course on DRIP, as I was talking about earlier today, uh, denying these reports as a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. Should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs. And a great article I said out loud was Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Literally, if you were to Google how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies, you would see oodles of articles, not just that one. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation in Inuit 
Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, uh, call 844-413-6649. It's toll-free, 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. And non-Indigenous, you can call distress center lines in your area. It's usually a functioning 211. Or you can also call 833-456-4566. Uh, the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta, SSISA.ca. If you're seeing or experiencing racism, you can also um, text or go to ACT it and Racism. Text at eight, sorry, 587 507 3838 if you see or experience racism. Also, the Trevor Project, oh, we should talk about that real quick uh, for folks who aren't paying attention to what's happening in the States. Some awful things are. Um, the biggest one is uh, the targeting of trans youth in Texas. And um, the Trevor Project obviously has lots of resources in general for those, but I don't think I can quite stress enough targeting trans people is going to kill them. And I can't stress that enough. By denying trans people who they are, we are literally giving them death sentences. And it absolutely has to be stopped. If this was um, a brown-governed uh, country, our white supremacist country would, West country would call them out. But it's right here. You know, Jason Kenney's bad for this already. Um, and, and yet there's such a double standard when it comes to brown governance in another, another part of the world because of racism, obviously. So you have to start calling this out. Uh, Missouri uh, has gone after uteruses. And if you have an atopic pr uh, pregnancy that literally can kill you, they'd rather see a dead woman than to allow an abortion. So that's disgusting. And ironically, the so-called fucking white power, white race folks, like literally are killing their own white women. <sighs> I don't even know how to have this conversation of how hypocritical our society is and how they allow this stuff to continue. So please support the Trevor Project. Um, and again, those resources are available for LGBTQ2 plus youth, uh, peer support work as well. So please go to lifevoice.ca and see the crisis supports um, as well. Normally I give a plug for uh, Kids Help Home, but I'm not going to today uh, because I've actually found out some awful stories about how they treat some of their own staff. So I don't think I'll be promoting Kids Help Home anymore, even though um, some folks may find them good, and I did when I was a child. But, you know, again, there's something I've learned from the hurt that I caused my, my one friend. It's that promoting promoting something else that's harmful isn't helping anybody. So not going to continue promoting it in any capacity. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast. To speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who don't know anything about us, uh, know anything about colonialism, 
the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our rights, our vigils, microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, <laughs> people who are gatekeepers. Um, so gatekeeping is, um, oh, I, I feel like I live in an Orwellian world where if you believe in white power and white supremacy, gatekeeping means one thing. <laughs> But when you're racial, gatekeeping means a completely opposite of the other. So, God, I can't stress enough doing anti-racism work. Um, recently came across a progressive that I had to block. Another two of them, actually, in the same conversation. And they're so damn proud of their, their Canadian flag. And I can't stress enough that nationalism is white nationalism that absolutely leads to genocide. And we are already in a genocide and continuing on a genocide. And the so-called progressive told me basically to get over it. And it's public for everybody to see on Twitter, but it's amazing how it always gets missed. So I don't know what to say, friends. I don't know. Um, anyway, internal, external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny of um, my granny and my mama, what strength looks like through their example. My dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family roots. Um, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian is through her. I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. But I highly recommend if you are not an indigenous person to never call yourself a native Calgarian I literally named it to make fun of you. Um, and that goes for any other city that you live in North America, calling yourself a native, whatever is stupid, racist, and you don't even know it. Thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend and the father of our child, he has supported me down my journey at the Red Road, witnessing decades of racism and sexism. And to a child who are blessed to learn from daily. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud of us trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. Again, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian that you can pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching, you can afford to give. Thank you. For those that cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. And I also have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I uh, just wanted to kind of just laugh a little at the very end and let people know I put up a poll. And I asked people what was a lie and what was the truth. And the lie was I had gotten a degree from the University of Calgary. And uh, I know that was the highest number. And I know my people on Twitter are not the people who listen to this podcast. Because <laughs> in previous podcasts, I talked about the education journey I'm constantly having to dissect and go through. So that was really funny. And then um, for folks on my podcast, you probably don't watch my Twitter. Uh, the other two truths though, that I had told, because a friend of mine had inspired me to do this, the truths that I had told were um, that I had met my my husband in grade four and that um, I really do hate the sound of bagpipes, like like immensely hate the sound of them. 
And in fact, when people mimic it, it makes me pretty much want to die. So I'm quite easy to torture if you're not um, sure about that. And I want to end with giving side eye to the Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you so much for listening.